Well, good morning, good morning. It is good to be with you today. Let's pray as we turn our attention now to God's Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for your Word. We thank you for this time of worship that we've had this morning that has really centered our eyes on what you have done for us in Jesus Christ. And truly, it is beyond description and it is marvelous in our eyes. And we praise you. And Lord, we pray and ask that you would work now by your Spirit, um, that your Son Jesus would be exalted even in this message today, and that our faith would be strengthened and encouraged today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me start off by asking this. uh, What do you want on your tombstone? And I'm not talking about pizza. For the... For those of you who are a little older, who lived through the 90s, you know what that means. All you younger people are like, what is he talking about? Uh, No, what do you want on your tombstone, like your actual tombstone? Uh, You know the name of John Newton, uh, the former slave trader who was converted and became a pastor. He's probably most well known for writing uh, Amazing Grace. Uh, The epitaph on his gravestone reads this, John Newton Once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was, by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Uh, Newton was a wretched sinner before he became a Christian, and uh, his song testifies to that. But the grace of God did not free him to serve no master, but to serve a new master, which he did faithfully for the rest of his life. How do you want people to remember you when you're gone? What will be the impact of your life? What will your legacy be? Maybe the more important question is, what do you want your legacy to be? because now is the time to be thinking about it. This morning, we are going to be talking about leaving a legacy, and kids, a legacy is how you're remembered for the impact of your life. It's just how you're remembered for the impact of your life. I remember having a conversation with my uh, dad before he died as he was battling cancer, and, and in that conversation, he said to me, I want to be remembered as patient, And I smiled inwardly because that would not be a word that I would use to describe my father. And as I thought about that later, this truth was pressed home on me. We don't get to tell people how to remember us, at least not directly. The only thing that we can do is live and act in the way that we want to be remembered for the impact of our life. And the most important legacy is a life of faithfulness that glorifies God and exalts Jesus Christ. Proverbs 10, 7 says, The memory of the righteous is a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. And we can think of godly parents like Moses' parents, Hebrews 11, 23, or a faithful Christian leader like Timothy, whose proven worth was well-known, Philippians chapter 2, 19 through 22, or a righteous king like Josiah, whose legacy still lives on, 2 Chronicles 35, 24 through 25, or a generous saint like Barnabas, Acts chapter 4, 
or a self-denying Christian like the widow who gave her last might, Mark 14, 9. Now we could go on, but the wicked will have no such honor. Their memory will rot, the Bible says. Consider and contrast the memory of the Apostle John with the memory of Judas the traitor. They left very different legacies. The Bible says a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, Proverbs 22, 1. What's a good name? Well, it's not exalting ourselves like those who at Babel wanted to make a name for themselves, Genesis eleven four. It's not like Absalom who set up a monument to himself, 2 Samuel 18, 18. And Jesus also warns it's a bad thing to have all men speak well of us, Luke 726. So that's not what we're after either. A good name is godly character with godly impact. That means that the path to a good name is actually not seeking a good name. It's seeking God's righteousness and seeking to be faithful to God in all things. A godly legacy is simply a good name remembered. Turning your Bibles to Deuteronomy 34, we come to the last chapter of Deuteronomy, and we look at the death of Moses, the man of God, and we're going to see his legacy today. And looking at Moses' life and legacy calls us to think about our own. And the message for us is this, leave a legacy of God-honoring, Christ-exalting faithfulness. Now, it might be uh, strange, it might seem strange that the main point of this last sermon from Deuteronomy on Moses' life is to leave a Christ-exalting legacy, but as we'll see, Moses left a legacy of faith and faithfulness, but his greatest legacy is pointing ahead to Christ. We're going to see four lessons from the life of Moses today that will help us to live now so that we will leave a God-honoring, Christ-exalting legacy. Now, the legitimacy of, of drawing lessons from Bible characters is somewhat out of fashion in today's uh, preaching. Yet Paul says these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. We're meant to learn from them. The great saints give living color to abstract truths and principles that we see in the Bible. And Moses gives us a living picture of what living by faith looks like. Now, the trap that we must avoid is a moralism that's devoid of Christ, devoid of the gospel, and the grace of God that is necessary for both salvation and sanctification, a trap that we hope to avoid in all of our preaching. So let's consider these four lessons from Moses' legacy Lesson number one, uphold and honor God as holy before all men. And here we see Moses' failure. We see this in verses 1 through 6, but also in Deuteronomy 32, verses 48 to 52. Verse 1, Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. Pisgah is likely the mountain range. Mount Nebo is the highest peak, and there God showed Moses the promised land in a, in a counterclockwise fashion. So if you're facing this way, he started in the north, moved to the west, and then down to the south, verses 2 and 3. 
Then verse 4, And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I've let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. Moses is allowed to see the land, but not enter it. Why? The answer is in Deuteronomy 32, 51. God says, Because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. And when you're traveling through the desert, one of the things that you need is water. Twice in Israel's wilderness wanderings, Moses brought water from a rock. That's awesome. We call that a miracle, a sign, a wonder. It's amazing. Now, this is talking about the second time that it happened at Meribah, and you can read the history of this in Numbers 20. As per usual, the people are quarreling. They argue with Moses. They accuse him of bringing them out to die in the desert. Numbers 20, 2 through 5. So Moses and Aaron go, and they seek the Lord, verse 6. And God told Moses to tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. And so you shall bring water out of the rock for them. Numbers 20, verses 7 through 8. He says, you speak to the rock, tell the rock, and it'll bring out the water. But that's not what Moses does. Instead, he gathers all the people and he says to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water from you, for you out of this rock? And then he struck the rock twice, verses 10 and 11. The water came out abundantly and the people and the herds drank their fill, which so shows us that God in his grace can still work in spite of our sin. But I want you to notice how Moses rebukes the people for their rebellion even as he himself rebels. Moses spoke rashly, Psalm 106, 33, giving a harsh and boastful rebuke. He acted pridefully, saying, shall we bring water for you? Making it seem like he, it depended on him, claiming for themselves what only belongs to God, the power and authority to bring water from a rock. In this moment, Moses is not concerned with exalting God's name, but his own. He did not uphold God as God. All this before the entire assembly. And Aaron was guilty too because he stood by and he did nothing, which is a warning against inaction. Instead of being examples of the faith, their actions undermined reverence for God. And this is very serious because these are the two leaders of God's people and it happened in front of all of his people. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Numbers 20, 12. This is a tragic part of Moses' life story. But God doesn't believe in whitewash. The Bible records the good, the bad, and the ugly. And this increases our confidence in the truthfulness of the Bible. Moses and Aaron failed to uphold God as holy before the people, and God punished them severely for it. They were not allowed to go into the land. Sometimes there are serious earthly consequences for great sin. Their negative example here teaches us to uphold God as holy. This means reverencing Him, honoring Him, humbly obeying Him, honoring God in everything that you do and say. And this is especially important 
for those of you who lead, for husbands, for moms and dads, for pastors, for teachers, for ministry leaders, for governing authorities. It's especially important there because of the impact on the people that you lead. We build a godly legacy by upholding and honoring God as holy before all men, come what may. That begins in our hearts before it ever shows itself outwardly. Peter said, in your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy, 1 Peter 3.15, meaning reverence him, set him apart, treat him as Lord in your heart. Jesus is king and he must rule your heart because from the heart comes everything that we do. That's why it leads to obedience. You see, in that moment, Moses was not upholding God as holy in his heart. He acted in anger and pride and unbelief. When we reverence God, when we regard him, uphold him as holy, we dread doing anything that will dishonor him. We seek to uphold him before men in everything that we do. Does that describe you? Does that describe your heart? And Moses was a flawed leader who was faithful to God. He wasn't perfect. At times he was hot-headed and rash in his leadership. Still, by God's grace, Moses grew in righteousness, and this clay pot became a vessel for noble purposes, useful to the master for every good work, 2 Timothy 2.21. A vessel to display the power of God for the glory of God. And overall, he was faithful, and that leads us to lesson number two. Live by faith as a servant of the Lord. And here we see Moses' faith. We see this in verses 5 through 8, but are also in the larger witness of Scripture. Look at verse 5. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses 30 days. We learn from Moses to live by faith as a servant of the Lord. His life illustrates this for us beautifully. In verse 5, Moses is called the servant of the Lord. He served God faithfully all his days with all his might, like all great men of God. Let me say this again. Like all great men of God, Moses was a servant. As Jesus said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Mark 9 35. The greatest compliment that you can get, brothers and sisters, is to be called the servant of the Lord. That's your aim. That's your goal. He's also called the man of God, Deuteronomy 33, 1. What does that mean? It means he was God's man. He feared God, not man. He was a godly man who loved and obeyed the Lord. It means he was chosen and commissioned and greatly used by God, working wonders and leading people out of Egypt and delivering God's law and shepherding them through the wilderness. But how did he do all of these things? By faith. Moses was a great man of faith. He's commended for his faith in Hebrews 11. It was his faith that motivated and empowered him to serve God and do all the things that he did. We read this incredible statement about his life in Hebrews by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. 
He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 26. Here we see Moses' self-denial for the sake of Christ in his faith. Moses gave up three things, greatness, pleasure, and riches. In Pharaoh's court, he had great power and honor. In that position, he had access to anything, any kind of pleasure. It was all at his fingertips. He had wealth. He had everything that money could buy, greatness, pleasure, and riches. He had the best that the world could offer. He had everything that people are constantly striving to obtain, what people spend their time and their energy and their health to get, greatness, pleasure, and riches, and he refused it all. Instead, what did he choose? He chose to be mistreated with the people of God. He chose suffering and affliction. He left the comfort in Pharaoh's palace for a place among God's people who were enslaved and persecuted. He chose to cast his lot in with poor, destitute, afflicted people. Now, we might might help other people in need. We might even give sacrificially of our time and our talent and our treasure But Moses goes beyond that. He left his place of honor entirely to go and live among them, to be with them as one of them. So we see Moses' love for God's people, but we also should see a picture of Jesus leaving heaven to live among us and rescue us. And why would Moses do this? His faith. Every action in his life and his ministry has to be traced to his faith. God revealed to him that the seed of the woman is going to crush the serpent's head, that a savior is going to come from Abraham's offspring in the future. He considered the reproach of the Messiah, the Christ, of greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt because he looked to the reward. He was looking ahead. He saw with the eye of faith that man's strength is weakness to God. The weakness of God is stronger than the greatest of human strength, that riches would fade away, that the pleasures of sin would bring death, that only the Christ and his people would endure forever. Like Paul, he saw that his affliction would only last for a moment, and one day it would give way to everlasting joy. He believed in the power of God. Humanly speaking, rescuing God's people seemed too great, but faith says nothing is impossible for God. He believed in the wisdom of God. Humanly speaking, keeping his position of influence may have seemed like a wiser plan. Lord, if I stay here, I can use my influence to help free your people. But faith says God's way is best, even if it doesn't make sense to me. Faith was like a telescope allowing Moses to see past the toil and the struggle and the danger all the way through that to the rest and peace and victory that lay beyond it. Faith was like an interpreter enabling Moses to understand that all his worldly rank and riches were empty and fleeting and that true greatness and true riches was found in serving God and belonging to God. That it was better to be a doorkeeper in the house of God than a prince with the wicked. 
Faith is like glasses so that he could see that it's no good to gain the world and lose his soul. And having seen these from afar, like all of the saints in Hebrews 11, they saw these things from afar and believing they acted accordingly. Faith made Moses the man that he was, a man of God, a servant of the Lord. Now, if you would be saved, you too must choose Christ over the world. You are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this Christ, this Messiah, calls you to come and die. He calls you to take up your cross daily and follow me. The only thing that enables you to choose Christ over the world is faith. Faith in Christ. Faith that God's promises are true. Faith that God's reward is better than earthly riches. You will not leave the world behind and follow Christ without faith. Why are there so many weak people, so many worldly people in our churches? Because they lack faith. Your life will always be lived in proportion to your faith, your peace, your patience, your courage, your zeal, your good works will all be in proportion to your faith and not beyond it. Live by faith as a servant of the Lord. That's the path to a God-honoring, Christ-exalting legacy. Steve Saint, the son of the martyred missionary Nate Saint, is talking about his dad. He says this about his dad. I suppose he's best known because he died for his faith. But the legacy he left his children was his willingness first to live for his faith. Live your faith as a servant of the Lord. Lesson three. Use well the time that God gives you. We see this in verses 5 through 8. And here we see Moses' end. The Lord buried Moses, verses 5 and 6, up on the mountains but in a valley. And here we need to see that God is with all of his people in death. He will be with you in your death. But he's uniquely present with Moses in his death and he buries him. And that secret burial kept people from idolizing him. Moses was 120 years old when he died, verse 7, and his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Moses did not die of old age. He had the full use of his faculties. He could think and speak and walk as well as ever. He hiked up the mountain all by himself. He died according to the word of the Lord, verse 5. In other words, God called him home. He had reached his divinely appointed limit on this earth. God writes all of our days in his book before a single one of them comes to pass. Psalm 139:16. Your life on earth is finite, fixed, and fleeting. David says, "O Lord, make me know my end." It's finite. And what is the measure of my days? They're fixed by God. Let me know how fleeting I am, Psalm 39, 4. 
And it's Moses himself who writes in the Psalms, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Psalm 90 verse 12. God determines the measure of your days. So make the most and the best use of the time that you have by living faithfully as God's servant. How are you investing your time? How are you wasting your time? Think about those two things. How am I investing my time? And how am I wasting my time? As Gandalf says to Frodo, all we have to do is to decide what to do with the time that is given us. The work that God had for Moses was finished and completed faithfully, not perfectly, but faithfully. Moses would now have rest and reward with God in heaven. You see, God's servant is not focused on how much time. They're focused on using their time. They're focused on running the race well and finishing strong. As Paul said, I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord. Acts 20, 24. That's the heart of one who lives by faith as a servant of the Lord. We live a godly legacy by faithfully serving God in everything that he calls us to do. That's how we use our time well in loving and serving others for God, in leading others toward holiness in heaven, as Moses did. So, number your days and use them well. Finally, lesson four. Your greatest legacy is pointing to Jesus Christ. And here we see Moses' greatness. See this in verses 9 through 12. Verse 9, Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him, that's Joshua, and did as the Lord commanded Moses. Joshua's great, but there's no one like Moses. Look at verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So first, Moses is incomparable as a prophet. He's the mouthpiece of God, through whom God revealed his law, his word, the first five books of the Bible. Second, Moses is incomparable because God knew him face to face. He had this intimate fellowship with God that was unparalleled in the Old Testament. Third, Moses is incomparable because of all the signs and the wonders and the mighty works that he did in in the Exodus in the wilderness, all of which confirmed his ministry and his message were from God. Though others in the Old Testament were prophets, they knew God, they did mighty works, they served God. Moses is the greatest of them all. No one compares to him until Jesus. Moses is great, but Jesus is greater. Jesus is a greater prophet. Moses said, God would raise up a prophet like me and you must listen to him or perish, Deuteronomy 18, 15. When we get to the New Testament, they're still waiting for this prophet. They're still looking for its fulfillment. John 1, 21, 25, 45, John 6, 14. And so at the transfiguration, we see Moses and Elijah on the mountain talking with Jesus. And at the end, it's just Jesus 
And this voice comes, the voice of God comes saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. He's calling, he's pointing us back to Deuteronomy 8.15. This is the one you're supposed to listen to. Not, uh, Luke 9, 34 and 36. Look what's happening. They're on a mountain, surrounded by clouds, and the voice of God is speaking. That should remind us of something. Moses on Mount Sinai. Jesus is the prophet that Moses said would come. Acts chapter 3, verses 22 to 23. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God. Hebrews 1, 1 through 2. He is the word of God made flesh. Moses knew God face to face, but Jesus had a greater fellowship with God. Jesus is the beloved son. He is one with God. God's his father. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Hebrews 1, 3. Jesus did greater signs and wonders, which attested to him. Acts 2, 22. Moses established the Passover, but Jesus is a greater sacrifice. He himself is our Passover lamb who takes away the sins of the world, the final sacrifice. Moses was a mediator, standing in the gap before them, between them and God, but Jesus is a greater mediator. He's the final and only mediator between God and men. Moses let them out of slavery in Egypt, but Jesus leads a far greater exodus, freeing us from bondage to sin and death. Check this out. Moses can't go in the land. The next time he shows up in the Bible, he's in the land with Elijah, talking with Jesus about the exodus that Jesus was about to go and accomplish in Jerusalem when he died paying the penalty for our sins. Luke chapter 9, it is awesome. God's like, you're not going in until you meet Jesus who's going to accomplish a better exodus than you ever could. Moses gave them manna. Jesus is the true bread of life from heaven. Moses gave them water. Jesus is the living water welling up to eternal life. Moses led them to the promised land, but Jesus leads us to a far greater land in heaven, a greater rest. Do you see all these promises, all of these things, they point forward. They're just a foretaste. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of it. He fulfills all of the Old Testament promises and prophecies and patterns, all the types. Moses points us to Jesus Christ, and that, that is his greatest legacy. Just like all of the Old Testament saints who all point us to Christ. As Calvin said, if one were to sift through the law and the prophets, meaning the whole Old Testament, He would not find a single word which would not draw and bring us to him, that is, to Jesus Christ. My uncle Merle passed away about a week ago, and his memorial service is coming up this Saturday. And I love that man. He was a hard worker. He was hilariously funny. He loved card games. He also loved to change the rules of all the games he played to make it harder for everyone who played them. He loved people most, especially his family. He was a servant. He would give you the shirt off of his back. He was hospitable. He was loving. He was kind. And I will remember all of these things about him. But his most important legacy is passing on the faith to his daughter and to his grandchildren 
and to his extended family and friends, including my family. He was a prayer warrior. I believe he prayed our family into the kingdom. He was a gentle and steady witness to Christ. He was instrumental in leading my dad to Christ. His greatest and most enduring legacy is pointing people to Jesus Christ. He lived a Christ-exalting life in everything that he said and he did. He was not perfect. But even his failures point us to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Yes, Moses' legacy is speaking God's word and knowing God intimately and leading through the Exodus and through the wilderness and serving God and his people faithfully. Yes, that's true. Yet Moses' greatest legacy through the course of history is pointing multiple generations to God's Messiah, the Christ. Like Moses, your greatest legacy is going to be how you point people to Jesus Christ. How you uphold Christ as holy, how you live faithfully as his servant, how you share the gospel, how you proclaim Christ in his word. Oh, may your life be like a giant billboard, like a spotlight, like a huge arrow that just points to Jesus Christ. May the effect of your life on behalf of others for Christ, live on long after you are gone, affecting future generations and eternity. What will your legacy be? Are you living right now in such a way that you will leave a legacy of God-honoring, Christ-exalting faithfulness? What needs to change in your life so that you can be more faithful to God? Remember, the path to a godly legacy is not seeking a good name, but seeking God's righteousness and serving Him faithfully. A godly legacy is not built in a day. It's not defined by a moment. It's the culmination of a lifetime of words and actions, big and small. Maybe today you, you find yourself like John Newton. You've been living an ungodly and immoral life. I want to say there is still time to change. Time to turn from your sins, to turn to Jesus Christ in faith. Time to be forgiven. Time to serve Him. Time to alter what is written on your tombstone. Each and every day of your life, you are writing your legacy. And your time is fixed. It's fleeting. So write well. Put your faith in Christ. Take up your cross and follow him. Live in such a way that everyone who knows you will say, they lived to honor God and to exalt Christ in everything they said and they did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and we praise you for choosing us and for saving us in Christ. We thank you, Lord, that you have commissioned us as your servants and sent us out into the world as your servants. 
And we thank you that like Moses, we serve you by your grace and in your strength. We thank you that the strength and the wisdom and the courage that we need to serve you faithfully, it all comes from you so that all the glory goes to you. And we pray very simply that you would help us to seek your righteousness, to walk by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.